as Holly just said, we're looking at a series at the moment based on a book called The God Lab. And um, this book is basically all about seeking to understand what God is like and seeking to somehow draw close to him. That concept, is it possible and how might it be possible to draw close to God? Um, In order to explore this, we're looking at a series of statements that Jesus made at the very beginning of his teaching. Um, And these statements are often called the Beatitudes. So Beatitudes means supreme blessedness. Um, So basically statements of blessing. And they're basically a list of certain people who God is going to bless in certain ways. And there are two things to note um, before we start. The first thing is, is that Jesus declares these, as I said, right at the beginning of his teaching, but specifically in, at the beginning of a really long speech that goes on for ages, which is really good, um, which lays out basically what God's all about and the way he interacts with the world and the way he wants to interact with the world. So these are very dramatic statements that basically set the tone for the rest of that long speech. Second of all, the blessings that are offered in these statements are all related to connecting with and drawing close to God. So they're a pretty good place to start if we're looking to understand what God is like and understand what it might look like to draw close to God. So scholars have looked at these in different ways, two ways being um, looking at these blessings as statements of fact and looking at these blessings as promises made to certain people. Um, So we're going to look at how we relate to the particular people group that are beatitude our blessing is um, talking to today and then we're going to look at it as a statement and as a promise so our beatitude today is this blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted i don't know how that statement makes you feel um i told a friend of mine um on tuesday some friends came up to visit us and I told her on Tuesday I was speaking on this, and her reaction was like, oh, right, what do you think about that? (laughs) She was not really very impressed at the statement. She was a bit like, oh, right, okay. Is that like an aspiration, like I'm supposed to be a mourner? Like, what's that all about? Um, It's it's not that comfortable. Um, It's quite controversial. Uh, It's not really the kind of pleasantry that people can easily say, oh, it's nice that you believe that. I'm glad for you that you believe that. necessarily. Um, But I I do believe that as with all these Beatitudes, and if you've been here the last two times, or if you're working your way through the book, like I know some people are, um, although it might initially cause you to pull back a bit or be a bit confused, um, actually if we push through that, we actually find that beyond that, if if we look with an honest heart at it, we not only find truth in it, but actually a very raw reality that we can identify with. Um, and, and even a, a beauty in what Jesus is saying. Um, bear with me on that. Because I think actually any spirituality, any worldview worth its salt, has to address the issue of mourning and suffering and pain. Um, because as much as we'd like to go through life, not really experiencing much mourning, as much as we'd like to go through life um, being lovely and have everyone being lovely to us and every situation in our life being lovely, the reality is that For most of us, at some point, um, some kind of tragedy will happen. Some kind of loss of something we love will happen. And we will experience mourning to some extent. And actually, it's important when we're talking about what is God like and how can we connect to God, not only to talk about all the lovely things, but also some of the painful things as well. 
And actually, this is Jesus addressing a fundamental part of our lives, um, granted doing it in perhaps quite an unexpected way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what does mourning look like in our lives? Might be a bit of an obvious question, but um, just to clarify this all, mourning doesn't necessarily mean crying a lot. Um, when Josh asked me to speak, he first said, I'd like you to do one of the talks in the God Lab series. And then he said, I'd like you to do the one on mourning, because you tend to cry quite a lot. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, you're right, actually. I can really rough that. I, I do tend to cry quite a lot. He's just nodding at me. Yeah. Um, not just for sad stuff. I'm not, that, I'm not sad a lot. Just for exciting situations, happy situations, any of those. Um, I've also been blessed with a face that reacts quite um, profoundly to tears. Um, I often look like I've just been stung by wasps all over my face. Just kind of puffs up, looks lovely. Um, when I was running this through with my husband, he also said, oh, and you sound like Miss Piggy. That's also true. When I tend to be crying, my voice goes all high-pitched. Um, 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 yeah, he, he has to kind of balance when I'm, when I'm actually crying. He can get away with making that statement in the moment. Um, going a bit Miss Piggy, sometimes I get. Um, not very attractive. Morning, however, um, isn't just about being a blubbering mess. Um, the most obvious example for us mourning might, is probably is when we lose someone, someone who's really precious to us, um, through death perhaps. It could also mean the loss of a relationship. So that might mean through an argument or a disagreement or because someone's moved away. We can mourn the loss of a job or an opportunity, something we wanted to be doing, an opportunity we wanted to grasp. It might also look like a pain over what we see around us in the world. You might mourn the realities of life. Maybe the reality of the fact that there's poverty in our city, even here in York, so much that we collect food every week to give to people who literally have nothing in their cupboards. And without that food, they would go hungry. Maybe it's something more on an international stage that particularly grips your heart, that, you, that you're gutted about, that hurts, that you mourn over. It, it might come out in anger for some of us. Anger at seeing something that shouldn't be that way. Maybe anger at seeing someone being ill-treated. At mourning over the loss of innocence or safety or joy in that person. Something that, that ties this all together for me, all these different ways of mourning, is that mourners are people who have their eyes and their hearts open to the reality of what's going on around them. They're people who love. It's it's not possible to mourn something unless you've loved first. Um, and unfortunately, in the brokenness of our world now, it's very difficult to love without at some point acknowledging there's probably going to be some mourning involved there. And the second greatest commandment we're given in the Bible is to love other people. So actually, even if we've not had any big tragedies in our life, the chances are for some of us at some point if we are opening our hearts to those around us, to our friends and family and the world as we see it, at some point there's probably going to be some bittersweetness in there, some mourning. So this beatitude addresses those who mourn. And what does it say? So we said it before the scholars looked at it as a statement, or as a promise. Um, what does this statement say? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think it actually reveals a very deep but a very simple truth. 
this might seem obvious, but again, bear with me, um, that those who mourn are in a place where they can be comforted. Those who mourn are putting themselves or find themselves in a place where they can be comforted. Mourning gives us an opportunity to share some of the most raw and deepest realities of our lives with God and with other people and, and to receive comfort in that place. Those who don't mourn can't be comforted. We all face pain in different ways. Some of us want to push it down and ignore it uh, and just try and bypass it. Some of us um, feel comfortable embracing it. Others of us tend to find ourselves overwhelmed by it. And actually, the way we respond isn't always in our control. That's not always something we choose. But what this beatitude is saying is actually mourning is not a bad thing. And it's also not bad to be met in that and to be comforted in that. It touches on a deep truth that as we mourn, we have that opportunity to share our pain with God and an opportunity for him to meet us in it. I don't know where that resonates with you, if you're someone who finds it easy to acknowledge pain and live in that or not. Recently, when I was in Paris over the summer, um, I rediscovered my love of reading. We had four days with my best friend, and we went out there and expected to spend a lot of time with her, but then she had to work loads. So we actually just had these days in the, this beautiful Parisian apartment where we could just chill out. We realised how in need of it we were. We just spent hours and hours reading. It was wonderful. Um, and one of the books I read was a book called Scar Tissue, which probably isn't the kind of holiday reading you'd normally expect to be reading, because it was a book about human trafficking. Um, I was a bit like, why are you reading that on holiday? I was like, I don't really know. But it was a profound experience to read it. Um, also quite a heartbreaking experience to read it. Um, and as I read it, and my eyes were more and more open to the brokenness of that reality, um, I found myself heartbroken. I found myself affected by it. And, and I found myself praying without intending to. I didn't plan to, but I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself saying to God, like, what, what is this about? Why is this happening? Please do something. Why wouldn't you do something? What's going on? How is this going on in our world? And not coherently, not kind of a set plan prayer, but I couldn't help but call out to God in that and be like, where are you in this place? Um, interestingly, as I did that, I, f I found actually myself realising that that was actually a place, not that I was in, that I needed God to come and join me in, but actually the reality is, is that I found myself in a place where God already was. That actually, when I went to a place of mourning, God was already there, that, that stuff he was already mourning, he was already, already heartbroken over. When we mourn, when we mourn the lack of something or the loss of something, we're in a place where we can cry out to God. We're in a place where we can have him come and meet us and further understand how he sees the world. Um, we're going to watch a very quick video, which may seem like a tangent, but again, bear with me. A lot of people assume I'm an atheist and sort of draw no distinction between being an atheist and an agnostic. And there's a sort of, particularly among, you know, basically rational comedians like me, there's a lot of atheism going on. Yes. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't accept the argument that atheism is the most 
and rational response to the world as we see it. I think agnosticism is. And I also, uh, I, don't, I don't want there to be nothing. No, I'm not convinced there's something, but I, I do want there to be something. I want there to be an all-powerful, benevolent God. And I, I like that thought. And I was initially brought up with it, and now I'm not sure. But I'm not ready to reject it. And I'm not, and I, I'm suspicious of the disdain for people who find that a comfort in their lives. And the sort of desperation among some atheists. Great, thank you. Um, I heard this on Facebook earlier in the week, and I was amazed at his honesty, actually. I think this is something we hear really rarely in our culture. Um, where he said, I want there to be a God. <laughs> I was like, huh, I, I, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else actually say that. Um, I'm not sure there is, but I want there to be. Um, often I think when we talk about wanting to connect with God or wanting to discover if there's a God, it, a lot of it comes down to intellectual arguments. If there is or isn't a God or what God is like is down to an intellectual argument as if it has only intellectual implications. But the reality is, for many of us, I think, how we feel about the potential of a God or, or the questions of what God is like actually elicits a, another response as well as an intellectual one, which is a heartfelt one, which is it just, I, I wish, I want it to be true. Um, I want God to be there. I want to be able to experience God. I, I want him to care about me and I want to know that and I want to be able to speak to him and him to speak back. There's a, a kind of potentially a disappointment, a regret, a, a mourning for a lack of God in our lives. And something that Roger touched on his, in his book is that at that moment, if we can sit with that disappointment, if we can not just push it away and ignore it, but if we can sit with that disappointment, we encounter the part of ourselves that wants to know God. And in that place, there's an opportunity for God to respond. There's an opportunity for him to come and comfort us in that place of, of mourning. And this applies for those of us who are Christians as well, when it comes to our disappointments in God. Because there are times where we feel let down. There are times when we don't feel close. There are times when we feel we need God. When we don't understand things, we're confused by things. And often I think we can just push those away and say, oh, no, no it doesn't matter, let's just move on from that. But actually, there's something about living in the reality of that and being honest and mourning that, sitting with that disappointment and bringing that before God and saying, I'm gutted, that creates a space for God to then come and respond to that, to answer our questions, to comfort us in that place. The statement of this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The statement behind this is that those who mourn are in a place where they can be comforted. Those who mourn are in a place where God can come and meet them and comfort them. So what about the promise? You said the second thing was that there, some people see this as a promise. What's the promise of this beatitude? This is my favourite bit. So if you can remember one or the other, remember this one. The promise of this beatitude is that those who are mourning are not forgotten and are not alone. I think mourning in our culture... It's just well awkward, isn't it, <laughs> if we're honest? We're not very good at mourning. Um, it's something that's intense and it's something that's personal. And in general, in British culture, neither of those things are something we really know what to do with, anything intense or anything personal. Um, it's something which uh, we kind of are just like, 
if we're like really emotive people or we're really, you know, um, lovely people, pastoral people, sorry, buzzword, but I can't think of another word, but if we're like that, then maybe we find it really easy, but then maybe we do it too much. And we, and we overwhelm people, but we don't really know what to do or what to say. Um, and partly, I think, as a result of that, and partly just because we're not particularly um, community-focused still. We're often quite individualistic. Mourning can be a really lonely place. It can be a really isolating place to be in. Whether, again, this is to do with um, death, whether this is to do with um, the breakdown or loss of a relationship, whether this is um, uh, maybe a, a lack of a job, Unemployment, whether this is um, even just to do with something we're passionate about that no one else quite seems to get or knows how to handle. It's often quite lonely. And in his day, when Jesus was first saying this, he was saying this to people who were really acquainted with mourning and suffering. This is the Jewish people who had gone from um, freedom to exile, back and forth, back and forth through their history. And now again, they were under Roman rule, and they were just desperate. They were just waiting for someone to come and save them. They were waiting for their Messiah, their, their chosen one, their saviour, to come and take them out of the exile period, back into the freedom period again. And they were just so hungry for that. And often and often you see people calling out in the Old Testament, especially saying, have you forgotten us? These are people who are used to that, but also in their culture, there was a connection between mourning, between bad things, and, and thinking that God had forgotten them, a curse, perhaps, on them. People who had um, maybe um, disabilities or deaths or anything of a kind of negative or, or painful nature in their lives, anything like that was seen as God's forgotten you. And actually, into this culture, Jesus speaks something really direct which I think perhaps is lost a little bit on our culture now as we are starting to see things a little bit differently, but I think still hold on to some of that, is actually, you are not forgotten. This is not a sign of God's displeasure. This is not a sign that God has um, left you alone. In fact, you're not only not forgotten, but you will be blessed. God wants to bless you. I think often when we see people who are in mourning, we're quick to pity them, but I don't think we often um, feel real hope for them. We don't see any hope in that place. And what God is saying is that there is hope in that. Not that this is somewhere we should aspire to be in mourning all the time and broken. But actually, Jesus is saying there's hope on two fronts. First of all, because a promise of comfort, which is what this blessing gives. Bless those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That, the comfort, that blessing, a, bless, a promise of comfort is a promise of a companion. You can't be comforted if there's not someone who's comforting you. Jesus is promising that those who mourn will be met in that morning. I don't know if you've ever experienced the great relief of having someone who's a companion in your grief. I had a phone call in the middle of the night this week from a friend who was in tears um, at 2 a.m., and we spoke for about 20 minutes, but to be honest, I didn't really know what to say to her. Um, I actually didn't have any answers for the problem she called me with, um, and I didn't really have any advice. I didn't, I didn't know what to say, which for those who know me will know that that's quite unusual. I usually have quite a lot to say. Um, but I had nothing, um, and I felt a little bit like pants. Um, I don't really have anything to offer you. Um, but she said something during a conversation which which made me really think. She said, to be honest, Pip, I just, kind of, I just wanted to hear your voice. 
just, I just wanted to talk to someone. I just wanted you to hear what was going on and just to have 10 minutes where I could share that. On the other hand, I wonder if you've ever experienced um, having someone with you who is not at all helpful in your grief. Um, a couple of years ago, my husband Al was working for a school's work charity, and um, he and some friends were preparing for a lesson, which always involves silly games and whatnot. Um, and they were doing it with a youth worker, so they'd gone to this place, this church, with this youth worker to prepare, and they were in one of the back rooms, and they were um, blowing up helium balloons, loads and loads and loads of helium balloons. And um, inevitably, when you're blowing up helium balloons, you get silly. It's going to happen, isn't it? Um, so they were like messing around and joking around and blowing up these helium balloons. They were running a bit late, so they were like ran out the door and round the side of the church, at which point the youth worker's face dropped, and he was like, there was definitely something important, which I forgot to say. They ran round, and two feet away from them was a coffin coming into the church for a funeral service. <laughs> and these guys like run around the corner with helium balloons, and they're like, oh, pants. Um, and they have to like pick their way through all the mourners, like, oh, I'm really sorry. But there's only so kind of solemn you can look when you've got like 30 bright pink helium balloons in your hand. And you're just like, pick it up, I'm just, uh, we don't have to get to the car, but actually really late, I'm, I'm really sorry. Oh, anyway, nightmare. Probably that's like the worst thing I can imagine that can happen to you when you're mourning. Um, although, could well have been there were a few people there who really appreciated it and found it hilarious. Um, nightmare. Uh, God, however, is, is not a companion that's going to make you feel really awkward when you're grieving and mourning, um, or feel guilty in that place. Because herein lies the second layer of this promise. Not only that those who mourn will be met with companionship, but actually that those who mourn will be met with compassion. Because the reality is you can't truly comfort someone unless you feel compassion towards them, unless you love them. Those who we feel truly comforted by are those who we sense love us, value us, show compassion towards us. Jesus, who was speaking these words, um, was not a stranger to pain himself. He knew what it felt like to mourn. He experienced a lot of the kind of mourning that we might experience in our lives, um, the death of a friend, rejection by his friends and his family, loneliness, um, but even as he said this, he also knew that at the end of the road for him, him, only three years later, was going to be a really long and slow and torturous death. Just before which, all his friends would run away. Jesus' life itself was a response to the mourning of God. The whole point Jesus came is because God was in mourning over his relationship with us. He was gutted at the brokenness of our relationship over generations and generations of a relationship where people ran away, came back, ran away. God's desperation to fix a broken relationship led to him sending Jesus and led to him being so committed that he would even send him to die to repair that relationship with us. Like God is a God who mourns. He knows what it feels like to lose stuff. He knows what the cost of loving is. This is not a promise that was given to patronise, like, oh, I know you're in pain, but don't worry, there'll be comfort for you. 
It's not a promise that's given to belittle or misunderstand pain from someone who's removed from it and doesn't get it. This is a promise that looks at reality head on. It addresses the raw reality of what we experience in our life and it offers into that a really deep hope that God will bless those who are in pain and mourning, that he will come to them, that he will offer himself to those people and will be a compassionate companion to them. He will comfort them. So we've been experimenting with these promises each week, um, experimenting in trying to understand more of what they reveal about God's character, um, but also experimenting because the promises in these are that God will draw close to us. And this one, as, as much as any of the others, I think it's clear that his promise in this is to draw close to us. So we're going to do that now. We're going to do um, the experiment that was listed in this chapter. Well, we're not quite going to do the experiment that was listed in this chapter because a few of you who've already read this chapter are smiling and be like, oh no, uh, because the experiment that's listed in the book, which is meant mostly to be read alone, is to speak out loud all the things that are painful and mourning in your life right now, um, which I'm thinking most of us are not up for. Um, and the people who are up for it, that's probably not the time or place, to be honest. It's just not. Um, so... Um, we're going to do a different version of it. We're going to have some music. And you'll see on your tables are some pieces of paper. Feel free to use these if you like. Um, feel free to sit in silence if you like. Um, also feel free to wait till you get home if you like. Um, I think one of the great things about this and about the fact that God gets suffering and that he offers comfort instead of condemnation um, is that we know we can be safe with him. His promise is that when you're mourning and when you're vulnerable, I'm, I'm not bringing, what I'm bringing is comfort and is compassion. You're safe to bring your vulnerabilities to me. But I realise that you may not feel that safe with everyone else in this room. Um, so feel free, if you're teetering on the edge of something major, just to wait till you get home if you'd like to. Um, don't feel any pressure. Uh, so yeah, we're going to have some time now to, to do that, to share. The name of this title of this one is Share. Um, it's an opportunity to share that morning with God and to see him meet you in that place. So we're going to play some music and then Holly and Rosie are going to come and finish up for us um, afterwards. So the beatitude for this week, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted.